correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. Today, I'm with my friend Steve here. Hello. And we also have a guest. So why don't we go ahead and break into the podcast of the week and our guest. Hello. Hello, sir. The voice you're hearing would be Chaz, who... um, well, for a long time, was a big part of the Story Told podcast and still GMs their actual play of Exalted, which is called Fall of Giara, which is a pretty cool little series. Uh, how deep are you into that now at this point, Chess? Uh, I think about 50 episodes into the Fall of Giara, uh, which is part of the Story Told podcast feed. And uh, we are nearing nearing the end of our campaign. So I think I'm edited like two and a half episodes ahead of what we've aired, which is, which is why I'm around episode 50. But we've probably got five sessions left to play of the campaign. Very exciting. It's been a, a long and, and, and uh, winding campaign. Yeah, I, I actually just finally got around to catching up on the rest of my feed enough to, to really start digging into it. And, and I enjoy it. It's, it's different. But to stop for a quick second and tell you a little bit about Story Told in general, Story Told is, is a podcast in a lot of ways similar to ours, I think except that where we tend to focus a little more on more action-based and, and maybe traditional games, Story Told tends to focus a little more on games that have a little more of a, a narrative style and a social focus. So, you know, we're kind of like similar but not the same. Plus, they also have, as we just mentioned, the, uh, the Fall of Giara actual play going on there with the Exalted system. But Logan, who's the primary host now of Story Told, and Griffin is there as well most of the time. And uh, to be completely honest, I've poached some people that I heard on there. Um, when we had Alex Thomas on to talk about Mutants and Masterminds, I actually heard him on their podcast. So, you know, they're wonderful people and definitely worth giving a listen to. Thank you. Yeah, um, GM Chris called our show an RPG variety show, which I think is a very apt title because it's a, a variety of reviews, deep dives, APs, interviews. We kind of have a, a bunch of different topics that we'll cover. Um, and I think you guys do the same. Yeah, pretty much. So all that being said, you know, we'll put links for the feed and, and so on and so forth down in the show notes so you can go check them out. But the reason we really wanted to talk with Chaz today was because, well, one of the things that, that I discovered listening to the talk episodes of Story Told is that he has a, quite a background in the White Wolf engine or Storyteller engine or whatever you call it because, well, I played some of those games you know, be it Vampire the Masquerade or Werewolf the Apocalypse way, way back in, I'm going to call it the mid to late 90s. I've completely lost touch with them, and I know they've changed quite a bit over the years. They, they for sure have. And I know, Steve, you've talked a bit, too, about, about having some interest in some of those systems and settings. And Yeah, I've always been sort of interested in... in the vampire setting but kind of daunted by it you know it's, <laughs> it's a really long running thing and i don't want to i don't want to step on any toes basically you know what i mean 
Yeah, I, I definitely see that not just in classic World of Darkness games, but also in other games that White Wolf and the Onyx Path produce, like Exalted, which is my personal favorite, which has 20 years of content, and people are worried that they're going to get the details wrong when they when they jump in. Well, I think that's a, a thing for a lot of people with, so to speak, established titles, is they worry about, oh, am I going to get this bit with, with the world wrong, or that bit, and... Yeah, it can be, you know, especially like you said, if you've got a game that that has 20 years of history to it or anything like that. And especially, I think, you know, at least my perception and and this probably speaks some to the other games that were around, you know, when I was introduced to the engine. It seems to me that World of Darkness was one of the first major titles to really, so to speak, put put the major focus on social things as opposed to more kind of adventure combat militaristic type things yeah i think I, I think you're right i think in the 90s when that was coming out there were definitely people who were playing social games but they were playing social games on top of a combat system that's where you still get people today who say oh you can use D for anything we had a, a great session where we didn't roll any dice uh, because we were having a dinner party or whatever it is but what the world of darkness set out to do early on was to say let's make the social conflict as intense as a, a combat so that when you are in front of the vampire prince of the city and trying to make your case to not be hunted until dawn, you still grab your dice and, and get to throw. So it's not just a, an arbitrary, have you convinced the GM, but uh, puts the emphasis on what your character is good at, lets you have those cool vampire powers like hypnotism or, or uh, mind control that, that we see in a lot of vampire media, and put some real meat behind it and not just use combat for the resolution. Yeah, yeah. And like, I know for me at the time when I played it, this would have been, I'm going to say, 96, 97-ish. And this was before a lot of the titles that are out there now, you know, be it Exalted or Scion or some of these other ones that at least I never heard of. Them. The only ones I remember hearing of at the time were Vampire, Werewolf, Mage, Wraith, and Changeling. Yeah, uh, so those were the big five of the World of Darkness, and I think I think you're right that in the uh, at that time they hadn't expanded out into the other games that that came in later during that explosion of role playing games that happened in the late '90s. So that those are the core World of Darkness games, and the World of Darkness is a world much like our own, except that there are monsters hidden in the night like the aforementioned vampires, werewolves, wraiths, etc. And and so that, that was really the focus of uh, White Wolf uh, early on. And now what? Now there's, I think there, there's Hunted, there's, uh, I know there's there's a uh, one podcast feed that, that I occasionally listen to called um, Fandible, I believe, and they play a lot of what are apparently World of Darkness or Chronicles of Darkness or... I, at this point, I'm I'm slightly confused, but they all seem to run on that kind of same White Wolf engine, and apparently there are like a whole bunch of other titles now. Yeah. Do you want me to to get into some of the history of that and uh, kind of talk through, and you guys can can stop and ask questions along the way? Sure. If you'd like to do that, that would be that would be nice because I I really don't have any of this history. Like we're sort of very outsider on this. Like Steve's played some of it, but yeah, I. I... <laughs> 
I always knew it as a passing thing, but I'd, I'd love to hear the history and, and learn a little bit about the world or the set. Sure. Everything encompassing that. Yeah. I, well, I'm going to have mostly a game focus on this. I know there's lots of creative people involved in, in making these and the history of the, the company being bought or moved around or, or all that. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of touch on that as lightly as possible uh, to keep the focus on the games. But yeah, I can kind of get into some of that. And uh, you guys let me know if you want to jump in and, and say something else or ask any questions or, or take it a different direction. So we kind of mentioned the World of Darkness. And the idea of the World of Darkness games is that you are playing a monster in a world much like our own that has all kinds of other hidden monsters and, and darkness to it. So the big five are the ones that we named. Vampire, where, where you play a, a vampire. Uh, werewolf uh, and werewolf's interesting because it takes the werewolf myth of you getting bit and turning into a monster and totally turns it around where werewolves are like secret bloodlines of people who are warriors to save the world from pollution and corruption um you're like captain planet except you turn into a, a wolf monster mage is just that you play a a wizard in the modern world in a world that rejects magic and so if you use your magic too blatantly, you suffer some kind of backlash against what you do and can use your will to shape the world. Wraith, you play a ghost, uh, someone who's dead, who, who starts in kind of the shadow of our world, but then uh, can travel deep into the underworld where there's a whole society of ghosts. And one of the unique things about Wraith is that you have your, your specter, your dark side that whispers in your mind. And from a play perspective, they usually give that role to one of the other players in the group. So you're playing not just your own character, but the specter to another character. And then Changeling, where you play people whose souls have merged with fairies who are trying to survive in a world that is hostile to them and find the little moments of wonder that, that can spark their magic in a, a world that doesn't believe in them anymore. And so, so that was the World of Darkness game that really hooked me initially because it, it lets you kind of layer these wild fantasy adventures on top of uh, a mundane world. Um, so those are the original core. And then, of course, they expanded out into like Hunter and Mummy and Demon and, and all kinds of other, other games that were part of the World of Darkness. But as games really started exploding in the, the D20 era and, and there was kind of uh, not quite a renaissance of RPGs, but a certainly a boom in the RPG industry. White Wolf at the time decided to expand to make uh, other games. And and I guess this is a point where we can stop and talk about the, the system a little bit, because that evolves as they get into the other games. You mentioned the, the storyteller system, which is the, uh, it's a dice pool system that they use for all of the World of Darkness games. And it, it's basically a, a dice pool system with D10s. So you have points in usually attributes and skills, but can be other traits. A lot of these have uh, magical traits that, that could be relevant. And you roll a pool of dice equal to the number of points you have in your attribute plus your, your skill. So if you are trying to hack into a computer, that's probably intelligence and computer use as your skills. If you have an intelligence of three, a computer use of, of two, you're going to roll five dice. Now, where it gets a little bit funky is that in the original storytelling, storyteller, I forget which is which between storyteller and storytelling 
So my apologies for the confusion there. Um, but in the original version of the system, the difficulty was based on the number that you needed to roll. So uh, if something was easy, you might say it's a difficulty four, and you needed to get a four or higher on one of your dice to succeed. If it was really hard, it might be like a difficulty eight, and then you needed an eight or higher on one of your dice to succeed. And extra successes meant you were more successful. That was kind of the core of the system. Okay, that that clears up a little bit of the mental confusion, because I had a, a vague memory of not having a consistent target number, but everything I've heard recently keeps talking about seven, and that was kind of stuck in my head too, and I'm going, I don't know if I just don't remember things because I've hit myself in the head too many times in the <laughs> last 25 years or what. Yeah, the sliding target number did some really funky things to the uh, probability uh, of the system um, that I don't think they realized when they originally created it, but they didn't want to go back and change that core piece of their system architecture within the same game lines. Because one of the interesting things is, even as they iterated from edition to edition with the Storyteller games, they were largely backwards compatible because they used the same attributes, the same skills, uh, you could take a character sheet from an earlier edition and use it in a later edition, and, and there there might be some differences in like your magic powers and exactly how they work, but it would be largely the same. And so that, that I think, was a, a real strength um, and part of why they didn't want to make that change. Uh, another thing people remember about the system from that era is the idea of botches, uh, where in your dice pool, any one that you rolled would reduce your the number of successes. And... If you rolled ones and it got rid of all of your successes, you would have a spectacular failure of some kind. And uh, that, again, that math where as you added more dice on high difficulty rolls, it meant you had more chances for ones as well, made botches really uh, kind of too common as your dice pool got bigger. Yeah, well, I, and, and this is something I learned. I heard an interview a while ago with, with Mark Reinhagen, who, if I have my information correct, was kind of the original architect of of the original world of darkness he was but um for the original dice mechanics i found out they brought in someone from the Shadowrun team over at fossa and Shadowrun has kind of a notoriously shall we say fiddly mechanical system <laughs> i think that's fair you know, I mean, the, the game system has its fans, but even some of its most ardent fans, you know, I've, I've had them tell me, yeah, yeah nobody plays Shadowrun for the, the system, and and these, you know, be it whatever we want to call the White Wolf on its path, whatever, these games have, have really established themselves and have a following that, at least in my perception, wouldn't put up with the frustration that I hear coming out of the the Shadowrun community. So I think they've, they've clearly somewhere made a break and revised things, if that seems like a fair statement. Yeah, and I don't think World of Darkness is ever as fiddly as, as what you get out of Shadowrun, even with the, the botch mechanics. I, I know I played some old World of Darkness and never really ran into it as a, a major pain point. So I, I don't think it is a, a real detriment to the system. Just as you start pushing the system limits, that was one of the areas where it where it would break down. Mm -hmm. So we get back to the explosion of RPGs in the late 90s, early 2000s. White Wolf uh, starts getting into other games. Uh, one of the first ones they did was Trinity or Aeon, uh, which was a future sci-fi where you play psychics in a 
uh, kind of a really diverse sci-fi setting. Uh, one of the cool things about Aeon is that because they look at like how does the whole world advance in the next couple hundred years after a series of disasters, each area of the world kind of gives you a different sci-fi vibe or different sci-fi subgenre. Uh, so if you want to play Aeon as a cyberpunk game, you can play it in the arcologies of the Federated States of America. If you want to play it as a a like space-faring, almost Star Trek-like exploration, you can play a, a member of one of the Psy Orders that is out and exploring how humanity was scattered across the stars. So there's a lot of neat stuff in the way that, that you can kind of set your dials for that game. And that game was part of the Trinity line of games, which was a story told backwards across time, because while the uh, sci-fi game was the first one released, the second one was a very near future, like day after tomorrow, superhero game, where superheroes or novas appeared after a disaster, and how does that change things in today's world? And then the third game in the series was Adventure, uh, which was like a 1920s pulp action hero story. And across these games, it told the story of, well, how did, how did we get to where, where things are in the Aeon universe from Aberrant, which was the superhero game, and Adventure, which was the pulp game. And so it, it tells the story of, of a, a number of characters who caused these events or were attached to these events. Uh, the other game that they made around that time was, is my personal favorite, and, and this is around when I was getting into, really getting into RPG gaming, um, was Exalted. And Exalted is a non-Western anime-inspired epic fantasy where you play the chosen of the gods um, imbued with divine heroic power in a world that is full of other people who also have this, this kind of power and a kind of hegemonic empire that, for the most part, wants to destroy you. So it really had a lot of epic storytelling opportunity from my perspective and I, I really got sucked into that and for both the trinity games and exalted they evolved the storyteller system so because both of those games were really pushing the upper limits um, world of darkness is a very gritty uh, you are a monster and you you have some powers but like once you're outside of your areas of expertise or or if you're not a fighter like you're you're not someone who fights a lot, you're going to suffer in a, in a combat situation. The dice mechanic can be very punishing, and they needed to change that for Exalted and for Trinity. So they, they came up with a bunch of different ideas. Some of it involved uh, playing with the target number. And so one of the first things they did was they said, you know what, no more sliding target numbers. In Exalted, a 7 is, is a success. That lets us play with the rest of the system a lot more and have a, a better understanding of what that's going to mean in gameplay. Uh, but then there was a lot of ability to use your power to add dice or to, in some cases, actually bring the target number down as one of your powers. And so it, it gave them a lot of granular control of the system there. Or in the case of Aberrant, the idea of mega attributes that would add automatic successes to your roles. So they, they played with a lot of that in that era uh, from a system perspective. Now, I'm going to pause there. Any questions so far? Um, I mean, I, the, the one other game I haven't heard you mention, and this could be just because it hasn't gotten there yet, was Scion, which in my understanding is, well, I, I'll let you cover it because you know it better than I do whenever you're, you're ready to get there. But no, I mean, I, I'm following along 
like I said, my my experience with the game was was like I said back in the mid to late nineties, and and you're already well past that. So. <laughs> Sure. Uh, so Scion is is in fact the next up game, and it it still uses the the storyteller system or what they called modified storyteller at that point. Scion is a game where you play the children of like the mythological gods in the modern world, and again that that was a game that really spoke to me, really captured me. I've run a bunch of very uh, fun Scion campaigns, and that was really neat because at, at the time it, it also had a good set of diversity for RPGs uh, because they didn't just say, oh, let's take the, the really well-known like Greek and Norse pantheons, but they also presented the, the, like, the Loa, uh, the modified version of the Orishas. Um, they pre- ended up presenting like the Indian gods and the Chinese gods and the Japanese gods. Uh, kind of mythologies that a lot of people don't know as well. And and actually today's Scion, Scion 2nd Edition, does that even better in terms of expanding the representation in the game. So it was kind of a neat, a neat thing, especially in the early 2000s before uh, representation um, was as widespread in the RPG industry as it is today. But yeah, Scion iterated on the system further. And at that point, that was kind of around when the RPG boom of the early 2000s started to collapse. And so they were seeing, and this is where I'll, I'll get into to some of the company history, they were seeing sales on their new stuff, um, especially in the World of Darkness, start to dry up. At that point, they'd been continuously publishing World of Darkness supplements for nearly 10 years. And they thought that the setting was getting stale, and that's what was driving the lower sales. Uh, but it was actually part of a bigger trend in RPGs at the time where there was a big collapse in the local game stores and in RPGs in general. It was before the advent of our, our real strong web 2.0 online communities that, that kind of drive RPGs today. And uh, what they did was they said, we're going to refresh the world of darkness. Uh, one of the things that was always part of the, the meta plot of the world of darkness was that the world was ending. Uh, there was kind of a, a a millennial idea that the world was going to end in 2000 uh, in the 90s. And so they built that into their games. There was always kind of an apocalyptic feel to the world of darkness. And they said, you know what? We're going to pull the trigger and end the world. And they had a series of books to end the world for all of their game lines, which had a mixed reception. And then they created what they called at the time the new world of darkness. And what they did was they said, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's go back to the myths, the source stories that are creating this and say, if we were going to do this again today with the decade of experience we have writing games, how would we do this differently? And so that's what they did with the New World of Darkness. And one of the, one of the key innovations was that they had a core World of Darkness book uh, that let you play mortal characters in this world where there were hidden monsters. And also meant that they had a single system that all of the other games ran on. One of the pain points of the old World of Darkness for a lot of people was that it was hard to run a game of crossover. Like if you wanted to have vampires and werewolves and changelings all in the same game, each game had a core book with a slightly different iteration of the rules. And so it made it, it had some rough edges when you were trying to slam things together. And Chronicles of Darkness said, you know what, we're going to solve this problem from the ground up by having a core rulebook, and you'll have your core rulebook and your game line book, and you'll use those together to play the game. And they released a, a new version of Vampire called Vampire the Requiem, 
and a new werewolf and a new mage. And they, uh, they released all of that inside a year. And so you had the new world of darkness. And that's when they changed the system from the storyteller system to the storytelling system. And the storytelling system used a lot of the ideas that were developed in the uh, modified storyteller systems of Exalted and Scion and Trinity and said, we're going to have a fixed target number. So you're always going to be rolling against eight in a Chronicles of Darkness game. And uh, difficulty is going to be how many successes you need to roll. And most of the time, you really only need to roll one success. Uh, there's, there's kind of some more unusual circumstances where you might need to, to get more than that. But the difficulty curve is going to be modified by adding dice and removing dice instead of playing with the difficulty number or the target number. So there's a lot of circumstances where you'll be adding more dice to your pool or subtracting dice out of your pool. Um, again, botches are, are pretty rare. The way they handled this was you only botch if your dice pool gets reduced to zero. You get to roll what's called a desperation die, uh, where you roll a single die. And on a 10, you succeed anyway. And in that case, on a 1, that's where you botch. And so it, made, it ended up making botches really rare. And in the, the second edition of Chronicles of Darkness, which is much more recent, you can also choose to have a dramatic failure. Um, and you get experience for that, which is fun. So it puts more of that narrative function into the player's hands. But at, at the time, it, it solved uh, what was considered the botch problem uh, among the fan base. And the New World of Darkness really had a mixed reception at the time. But I, I was a big fan. My playgroup really liked the New World of Darkness design and ethos. Old World of Darkness had a lot of metaplot. Uh, I talked about kind of the end of the world metaplot coming up. And they, they totally moved away from it. Uh, New World of Darkness was very sandbox. They gave you a toolkit with lots of factions and ideas. and You could bring them together and kind of build your setting how you wanted out of it. So they went in a lot of different directions. And, and that alienated some fans. And then ultimately, I think it was just the decline of the RPG market overall meant that White Wolf at the time merged with a video game company um, CCP that made EVE Online and was no longer just an RPG company. And as the RPG slump, I guess I'll call it, continued, uh, eventually CCP said, we're going to stop publishing RPGs. Um, we're not making the money we need out of it. We need to focus on our, our video games. And so White Wolf of Old kind of withered away on the vine. Uh, so that that brings us up to like the the mid early 2000s. Um, any questions so far? There's just a wall of information here, but a lot of it I, you know, vaguely aware of some of it, but not the specifics regarding, you know, be it White Wolf or the, or the mergers and so on and so forth. Yeah. So I think around 2011, one of the creators who had been at White Wolf merged into CCP and then left as they cut most of the RPG staff started Onyx Path. And what he did initially was a couple of the properties that White Wolf had owned, he was able to, to buy from CCP, and a couple of them he was able to license. And he slowly started putting out new content for the World of Darkness, for a New World of Darkness, for Exalted, and, and for all of the other P3 
pieces that had kind of been slumbering, if you will. And this kind of timed well with the new boom of RPGs online. Um, drive through RPG was coming up, so they started really pushing on publishing through digital format. Uh, this was also around the beginning of Kickstarter, and so they started using Kickstarter to, to fund their, their uh, big books. They also were able to, to publish a series of 20th anniversary editions for the original World of Darkness, and that was a big part of how they got their start. But so they started with the old World of Darkness stuff, and they were still publishing new World of Darkness stuff. Uh, they started publishing second editions of the new World of Darkness stuff. And then CCP sold all of the White Wolf stuff to another company. And that uh, set up a little bit of complexity. And that's where, for brand reasons, Paradox said, you can still publish New World of Darkness stuff, but you can't call it World of Darkness anymore. Uh, and so they, they changed the name to the Chronicles of Darkness. And so that's, you've, I think you've heard me switch between those titles uh, a couple of times. But Chronicles of Darkness is the New World of Darkness. And the second edition games are the ones produced by the Onyx Path that currently have some ongoing publication as well. And the World of Darkness stuff was taken in-house by, by Paradox. So when you get Vampire 5th Edition, uh, which is out there and very popular right now, that's produced by Paradox. But Onyx Path built their own system as well. Uh, like I said, they bought some of the properties. So Scion and Trinity are now Onyx Path games, wholly owned and, and produced. And what they did was they, they looked back and they said, you know what, Scion back in the day was really cool, but once you got to the midpoint of the game, because in Scion you like started out as heroes, someone like, like uh, Hercules or other children of the gods in that area, but then you could advance to become a demigod and a god, but from a system perspective, the scaling was broken. Um, and really once you got to the top end of the hero tier, the uh, the game rules broke down. Makes sense. I mean, you start messing with deities, it, it is going to skew your scaling. <laughs> For sure. And so what Onyx Path is, was they set out and they said, you know what, we're going to make a new game engine that is going to scale from Man on the Street to God in the Sky. And they, they spent a couple of years hammering on the system that uses a lot of the same core elements as the storyteller and storytelling systems but changes it in some really critical uh, ways that let you do this scaling. And so that, that's where the story path system was created. And so you're still rolling a, a pool of D10s. You're rolling against a fixed target number, kind of. Um, and the reason I say kind of is because that's one of the points uh, where you scale. So in Scion, for example, mortal characters and characters who are, are heroes where they've started on their path to divinity, roll against a target number of eight. If you're a demigod, you roll against a target number of seven. And Trinity has a similar scaling mechanism, where if you're a baseline mortal character, you're rolling against a target number of eight. If you are a powerful superhero aberrant, you are rolling against a target number of seven. And so that was one of the points of scale. One of the other really critical things they did, um, and this is a problem that I, I still see in Exalted, is that when you're rolling a really big dice pool, the chances of failing your roll, even if you need like five successes, is pretty low because it is not uncommon in Exalted that you have players rolling like 
16 dice and they can re-roll some of them if they fail and they can add automatic successes. And like, that's a lot of fun, but it, it takes some of the drama away from the individual role. So what they did for the story path system was they said, instead of adding automatic successes or adding dice to the pool, what we're going to say is that, that we're going to create a, a system where you can add automatic successes, but only if you roll at least one success on the dice. And, and that means that each roll, because it has a smaller dice pool, even if you're good at something, there's some tension on it. Because yes, you can apply your divine might and, and really be awesome as long as you roll at least one success. And so it, it kind of brings some of the drama back to the dice rolling moments. Um, and then the final really strong innovation, and, and there are others as well, but this is kind of the other big departure point from the storyteller and storytelling systems that came before, was the idea of scale. That if you are rolling against someone who's of the same kind of class of being as you, this doesn't come into effect. But sometimes things are bigger, faster, stronger, and it, it's not really a contest between them, except on the extreme outside angles. So th an example of this is that a person has a speed scale of zero, a horse probably has a speed scale of one, um, a motorcycle might have a speed scale of three, and that becomes a multiplier on the successes that you roll in a, in a contest, S so that a motorcycle is almost always going to beat a, a horse in a, in a race, unless you have some magic power that is going to increase your scale for that moment. And if the scales are too far apart, I think if they're three ranks apart, there's just no contest, there's no roll. You can't, uh, you can't overcome that advantage gap. And so you can assign scale in different categories to a thing that let you um, change the uh, relative capabilities without just continuing to add tons of dice and say, well, a motorcycle is going to roll 18 dice for a speed test. They, they said, you know, no, a motorcycle is still going to roll its, its dice pool of like five or six dice for your drive rating and your dexterity rating and the motorcycle's speed, but it has a speed scale. And so even though that Olympic athlete might be rolling eight dice of running, the motorcycle's speed scale of three means that it's going to outpace a, a runner. Um, and so I thought that was a really good way to uh, to handle that that uh, difference. Yeah, I like that idea in that in that you know it implies that while it's not impossible, the chances of you catching a motorcycle on foot are rather extreme. Exactly. Um, again, unless there's something that you can do to to change things. So, for example, in Scion, uh, where you are playing the children of the gods there are a lot of scion powers that let you add scale. So you can say, I'm going to call on my divine gift of speed, and I'm going to uh, spend legend, which is scion's kind of power trait, and that's going to let me, for one action, act as if my speed scale is one rank higher. And so if you have like a scion of Hermes, who's, who's chasing after a bad guy on a motorcycle, they, they can, can really push their divine might and say, you know what, for this moment, I am as fast as that motorcycle, and I'm going to chase him down because I've boosted my speed scale uh, and and pull him off the motorcycle, or whatever the, the situation is. Yeah. Now, this brings up, and I, I just want to address this because I know it, it runs through the back of people's minds a lot with games. It doesn't sound to me like it's an incredibly crunchy 
you know, mechanically technical system, but it does seem like it's, it's got some crunch to it. Is that a, a fair way to say it? I mean, yeah, you know, it, it sounds like you've got some principles to learn. And once you learn the principles, it sounds like they're reasonably uniformly applied. So you're not memorizing a lot of extremely situational rules. Yes, uh, that is that is also one of the design intentions is that you've got a relatively streamlined toolkit that can be used to do a lot of different things, but it does it in really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. And now that is more true of the story path system than it is, say, of Exalted 3rd Edition, uh, which is my personal favorite. You mentioned that the fall of Giara, we are running an Exalted 3rd Edition game. And the Exalted 3rd Edition, it is a much crunchier system. It's still using uh, the, the older storyteller principles, but again, evolved for a system where you are playing gods or godlike beings. Now, Exalted 3rd Edition does some really neat stuff especially with the the combat system. And so I, I kind of want to pause and talk a little bit about that because that's that's one of my favorite subsystems of, of Exalted, where what the developers at the time did was they said, we don't want a game where you are beating on each other until one of you falls down. We want to be able to emulate the really cool fights that we see in martial arts movies, in Star Wars, in The Princess Bride. If you think about, say, the duel between Inigo Montoya and the Dread Pirate Roberts in The Princess Bride. They are not stabbing each other until one of them falls down. They are fighting back and forth. They're parrying. They're bantering until things go wrong and one of them strikes a decisive blow. Uh, same thing in The Empire Strikes Back in like the fight between Luke and Vader. They are, they're talking. They're throwing things at each other. They're parrying until you have the decisive moment where uh, Vader cuts off Luke's hand. Like, spoiler alert for a 35-year-old movie, uh, a 40, <laughs> 45-year-old movie or whatever it is. Um, but what it isn't is it isn't what D&D or other games have where you are hitting each other and whittling each other's health down because that that creates a very different drama. And so what they did at the core of Exalted's combat system was they said, we are going to differentiate between withering attacks which are attacks where you are fighting for advantage and decisive attacks, the blows that are really going to end a fight. And your withering attacks are going to help you build up initiative, and then you can use that initiative to make a decisive attack and hopefully end the fight or really change the momentum of the fight. And it it creates this really dynamic system. And if you've listened to the fall of Jara, you've probably seen it where at the beginning of the fight, like it's it's uh, parrying, it's pushing each other back and forth, it's angling for advantage, and then well, uh, one of the characters will make a, a big move that really changes the the scenario by either striking down an enemy or injuring them badly or or something to that effect. Uh, so that that makes it a lot of fun. It's like a, a fighting game or a, a, the drama of those movies that I talked about to make a really dynamic combat system. Yeah, yeah, no it. Like I like that I, that concept though, in that it's not a game of of so to speak. Really, it's not an attrition game. It's okay. I'm going to to do this to to build up. I don't. Okay, I'm just gonna say it because it seems like Exalted, from my limited exposure, has a very kind of Final Fantasy vibe to it. And so to speak, you're doing these withering attacks to build up your limit, and then you get your limit break or whatever it's called. 
and that's your decisive attack. Am I drawing the right analogies? Yeah, that, that's a pretty decent analogy. I, I would say decisive attacks often aren't as powerful as like a Final Fantasy limit break, but that's a really good way to think about it. I know one of the system inspirations for it was the game Dissedia Final Fantasy, which was the Final Fantasy game where they pulled characters in from all of the games and it was a fighting game. And, and that had a system where you had two different types of attacks where you built your power and then you got to uh, unleash hell on your opponent. So that, that is a very apt analogy. Fair. And to go back a quick second, your, your explanation of the, um, the business side of things finally kind of explained some of my confusion because I was kind of getting the impression that, that some of these games had forked. And now that you're saying they're under different corporate ownership, it makes a little more sense why you see some of them being pushed more aggressively and, and so on and so forth. But that's kind of dropping back a couple of steps in the conversation. Yeah, and, and it's still kind of in an interesting position because right now, Paradox owns the World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness, and Exalted. For the World of Darkness, Vampire 5th Edition was produced by Paradox, and they have also licensed other companies to make some of the books for Vampire 5th Edition. So like Chicago by Night, Cults of the Blood Gods are published by the Onyx Path. The Fall of London was made by Modiphius, and, and there's other companies that are making other properties related to it. The other World of Darkness games are still building on the 20th anniversary edition books, and, and really it, it's only Mage that is still getting books in that uh, format. And they have not yet moved into the, the 5th edition paradigm, which is Paradox's system. And those are still produced by the Onyx Path. The Chronicles of Darkness is solely licensed by the Onyx Path and only for RPG books and not for anything else because Paradox wants the World of Darkness to be like a big brand identity to make board games and TV shows. They actually just, just announced that they're working on a TV show uh, of the World of Darkness uh, licensed by Paradox. And so they're trying to, to really control that brand more tightly. And, and so they, they put a lot more focus on exactly what's coming out for the World of Darkness. Exalted is still owned by Paradox, but also licensed by the Onyx Path. So Exalted 3rd Edition is written by the Onyx Path, but the property is owned by Paradox. And then, like I said, Scion and Trinity are, are wholly owned by the Onyx Path. Okay. Yeah, that's... I'm glad you can keep it straight, because... I'm confused just hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've been a, a longtime follower of White Wolf and, and Onyx Path, even from its initial launch, and I actually now write for them, so I, I, I think I have to keep it straight to a certain extent. Well, yeah, that would be useful if, if that's a, a source of employment for you. <laughs> yeah, no, like, okay, I, I have to say I'm not a big traditional fantasy fan, I mean, you know, I've spent a lot of time playing, you know, be it Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. But yeah, it sounds like Exalted is, it's fantasy on the surface, but it's not, it's not a Tolkienian fantasy, if you will. No, not by any means. Should we spend some time talking about Exalted? Because I could talk about Exalted all, all day. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Why not? I'm excited to hear more about Exalted because from what you've just described, I want to hear more about this world and the setting and you have my attention. Okay. So I said that Exalted is a non-Western epic fantasy and that they really set out at the beginning to 
I mean, it's it's largely Asian inspired, but there there are other elements brought in as well. Uh, you see a little bit of like Aztec stuff or African ideas in in the setting. And in the third edition, they've really expanded it and made an intention of bringing in all kinds of world cultures to present uh, kind of the melange that is uh, creation, exalted setting. Um, but in Exalted, uh, it, it's a flat earth surrounded by a roiling sea of chaos. And from the center of the world, the dragon-blooded Exalted rule an empire, a hegemonic empire that says that all of the other types of Exalted are actually anathema and need to be hunted and destroyed, largely to maintain their own power. The mightiest of the Exalted, the, the Solar Exalted, have been gone for over a thousand years and are only recently starting to reappear in creation. When someone becomes exalted, it, it is in a moment of heroism or, or passion where uh, these exalted souls that, that look for heroes empower them and let them complete whatever heroic feat that they are, are doing, and then they have to, to learn to deal with that power. The exalted were created thousands of years ago by the gods because the gods wanted to overthrow the creators uh, of the world, kind of a, a titanomachy, uh, if you will, where that the gods overthrew the, the titans who, who built the world. But the gods uh, were created by the primordials, and so they could not act against them. So instead, what they did was they granted their power to mortals who had the gift of free will. And, and that's why the exalted were created. They were created as weapons in this divine war against the creators of the world. And the Exalted uh, won the war and then ruled in creation. But the Primordials cast a death curse upon the Exalted to drive them to hubris. And so the Solar Exalted especially uh, fell into becoming tyrants. And one of the other types of Exalted, the Sidereal Exalted, who are manipulators of fate, agents of heaven, uh, I, I like calling them Heaven's Secret Service, because they, in the modern setting of Exalted, they work for the bureaus of destiny, which are the bureaus in the heavenly bureaucracy that all operate around the loom of fate. Um, and anytime the loom of fate gets snarled, it's because something has gone wrong with destiny and creation, and that the Sidereals are troubleshooters who go out and fix those problems. But the Sidereals at the time, also suffering from their own hubris, looked into the future and said, oh, if we don't do something, the solars are going to destroy creation. And so what they did is they organized the usurpation, this uh, event where the dragon-blooded exalted were supported by the Sidereals to go and assassinate all of the Solars, and the Sidereals enacted a ritual that would capture their exalted spirits uh, so that they would not be reborn into the world. And for thousands of years, that has held. And in the setting recently, that prison, the jade prison that held the souls of the Solar Exalted, was broken open. There was a heist. And now the Exalted are, are reappearing uh, across the world. And that's kind of the, the basic setting for Exalted. And there's a whole bunch of different types of Exalted, of different, different divinely empowered heroes. Third edition so far has the three types um, that are the most common, being the Solar Exalted. And if you get the core book, um, that's going to have the play experience for the Solar Exalted. They're returned heroes, excellent at whatever they put their mind to, empowered by the unconquered sun, who is the uh, kind of emperor of the heavenly bureaucracy. 
And they are also the, the enemy of the Dragonblooded, who are the second type uh, published for Vaulted 3rd Edition. The Dragonblooded are elemental heroes who, instead of being empowered in a single moment of heroism, pass their power down through their bloodline. And so they create vast families, and there's a, a whole dynasty, empire dynasty uh, in the center of the world that, that is that hegemonic power I mentioned. And because they, they killed the Solars of old, they have a tradition of hunting them when they reappear. And the third type of Exalted for third edition so far are the Lunar Exalted. They are shapeshifters and monsters, tricksters and shamans. Uh, who have been fighting a millennia-long war against the Dragonblooded for killing the Solars and driving them out to the edge of the world. Now, those are only three types, and, and I guess this is where I get to, to plug a project that is uh, coming soon to Kickstarter um, that I was involved in. I mentioned that Exalted's a, a very crunchy system. Uh, the core book is like 600 pages long. There are hundreds of discrete powers uh, because as as the Exalted, you get to express your magic through charms that are kind of like a combination between a feat and a spell spread across all of the areas of expertise that you can have. So the uh, systems for uh, running a bureaucracy are are as uh, heavy with powers as the systems as the combat systems, um, which is kind of neat. But it has meant that publishing Exalted 3rd Edition has been pretty slow, and that there's there's kind of a barrier to entry to people who see the book and start looking at the powers and say, oh my god, I'm never going to be able to, to do this. So what Onyx Path did was they said, we're going to create a lighter Exalted system. Um, so this is Exalted Essence, where we're going to have all of the same ideas of Exalted, but we're going to streamline the system. So it still uses a, a D10 dice pool system. It still has the building power uh, with withering attacks and, and making decisive attacks. But instead of having as much crunch as there is, it, it really streamlines the system down to a core few elements. It reduces the ability list uh, to make it more um, accessible. It reduces the charm list to make each charm kind of more powerful and more meaningful but without needing to, to go through the granularity of, of picking 15 charms for a starting character. It, it makes things easier for, for new players and for people getting into Exalted. And kind of most importantly, they are presenting all 10 types of Exalted in one book. Uh, so even in the past editions, it's been like one book for each Exalt type. And so for people who want to play mixed games, uh, which is, is very popular among the Exalted fandom, Having everything available all at once in one place is a really good way to get into Exalted. So, yeah, no, that sounds that sounds cool because one of the criticisms I've heard leveled it at some games, and I've even leveled them at, at assorted games, is that some of these games, and it's only a criticism to a point because things are different depending on what stage of life you're at. But some games, it seems like, are built very much for that high school and college age point of life. You know, I don't want to say, you know, mentality or maturity level, but, you know, we didn't, none of us realized it at the time, but when we were in high school and college and gaming or, or, you know, whenever we got into it, we had so much more time to dedicate to reading rule books, learning rules, and so on and so forth. And at least in my case, and in the case of many people I've talked to, as you get into adulthood, the time that you have to be able to, set aside to read and learn game materials seems to get less and less. And also if, if you're like myself, you know, where you want to experience different games, these games that have a lot of 
expanded diverse rules, for lack of a better way to say it, become almost prohibitive just because if you want to do anything else, you don't have time to learn this to the level you need to. And it sounds like they're they're aware of that and, and trying to make a at least a version of it that is accessible for people who don't have time to dedicate to just, you know, exalted third edition or whatever. Yeah. And, and, uh, that, I, that's definitely the goal in creating exalted essence is making it more broadly accessible for people who don't have the, the free time that we all did in our youths. Um, but also bringing everything together in one place so that, uh, like I said earlier, exalted has 20 years of materials published for it. So, that makes it daunting for someone to say, you know, I want to run an exalted game, but I, I don't have the time to read 20 books to understand what this area is like. So one of the one of the things we've done in essence is write a summarized version of creation and, and make sure that the setting is accessible in a way that will help inspire people to tell their own stories in it without feeling like they need to know absolutely everything that's been written over the over the years. If Exalted is something that you want to learn more about, I am also on another podcast called The Systematic Understanding of Everything, or Exaltcast, where we take 30 to 45 minutes to deep dive on an Exalted topic every two weeks. Um, We kicked off the show with kind of an overview of the setting and of the different types of Exalted, and then went into deep dive episodes and system episodes. So that that would be a great place to to learn more about Exalted if if it's caught your attention. Oh, uh, one other one other thing about Exalted, and this is something that I often forget to to mention, but it was one of the things that that really captured me initially is that Exalted brings something new to the system that I have now and tried to incorporate into every role playing game I run. But it's the idea of stunting, where if as the player you give a really cool description for what you're trying to do you get bonus dice. So you just get a bonus for, for being awesome in the game. Okay. That, yeah, I remember hearing that in, in, in Fall of Giara, and it, it did seem, let's be honest, you know, you, you get people who complain about, oh, there's too many meta elements, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? No, I, I disagree because be it, you know, like the uh, Destiny Point thing in the FFG Star Wars or these stunts, anything that I think helps keep players engaged with the game so you don't get that, you know, look, we've all been there, that D&D combat scenario where, okay, my turn's done. I've got at least eh, 20 minutes till I have to do anything again. You know, you don't have those moments. And that it, it just makes for a more engaged table. And that's a good thing. I, I don't know how else to say Yeah, that. I, I agree 100%. I like that. And I will definitely be backing that Kickstarter when it comes out because... That's something as as you started talking about exalted and I'm I'm sitting here going, Yeah, that's really cool. I want to get into that. And then, you know, like Steve said, time time's a big thing and, and having a basically trimmed down version of that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, I will definitely come around to your server and share the link when when the Kickstarter launches. Onyx Path has been very transparent that it is they're not sure if it's their next Kickstarter or the one after it. They have two two games that are coming to Kickstarter. Um, so one of them will, will come in May and the next one will come in June. So either in May or June, we'll have the uh, Exalted Essence Kickstarter out and, and available. The Onyx Path has also switched to releasing the full game during their Kickstarter campaign. They had a couple early campaigns that, that took much longer to deliver than they wanted. 
And so their new policy is they do not go to Kickstarter until the game is fully written. So as a Kickstarter backer, you get to see the whole game text before the Kickstarter ends. And it's a fully playable game. It doesn't have all the, the art and layout and everything and, and some of the polish that'll be applied as all of the backers get to play test it and give their feedback. But come uh, May or June, whenever, whenever the Kickstarter does come out, Exalted Essence will be out there for, for anyone who wants to, to start, start working on it. That's very cool. I like it when companies do things with the Kickstarter where you know, you're not waiting literally months before you see anything. You know, it sounds like they've they've kind of struck a point in their model where it's it serves them well to be able to to gauge what do you want to say to be able to to get something there, but but not have because like I know um, EN Publishing does their Kickstarters where the book is ready to go to print when he puts it on Kickstarter, and so literally all he's doing with the Kickstarter is gauging his print run. This sounds more like they're they're kind of gauging okay we're going to take this Kickstarter money and that's going to affect how much we spend on art and so on and so forth. Exactly. So it's, it's kind of a happy medium. Yeah, it's it's the art. It affects the art budget and often one of the stretch goals will be more art. The other thing that they do for every Kickstarter is they create a companion book. So we'll have an, uh, an essence companion book and depending on how many stretch goals get hit, that'll depend on, on what sections go into the book. So that'll be that'll be exciting as well. Very cool. Steve, you've you've been a lot quieter than me through this. Do you have any, any yeah, questions no. here? I'm sitting here like a sponge. I'm just taking it all in. <laughs> uh, no, I um I'm very excited to see that. And I, I I've been burned on a couple Kickstarters, so I like hearing that the book is we'll say eighty percent complete and just needs a little bit more. We'll say that the book is written but needs to be completed, and I like that because there's been too many times where I've been like. Oh, this is a really cool Kickstarter, and it's a bit maybe no, no, okay. Yeah, no, I've I've been I've been burned a couple of times as well. But with that, unless you have more to add, I think let's go ahead and move into our next segment. Game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. So we've sort of explained game of the week to you, and I I guess you have one picked out. Steve, do you want to start with this week, or do you want me to start? Um, I have one picked out I can go with, if, if you'd like. Go for it. All right. Well, I'm going to go with something, and this is a little bit of a departure for me, because as I've mentioned, I'm not the biggest stereotypical fantasy fan. But one thing I've, I've kind of always, kind of, or not always, but recently had a little bit of a passing interest in is it's more of kind of a gritty fantasy, a la like a like a Warhammer fantasy. But you know, the the current edition of Warhammer Fantasy Fourth Edition is renowned for being one of those games like we were just talking about, where you've got to dedicate a lot of time to it. There's a lot of very fiddly interconnected rules and so on and so forth. Well, somebody else out there, a guy by the name of Greg Saunders, also felt that way. And so, unlike people like me who just grumble and complain that they don't want to learn a game he went out and wrote his own eh, call it a spin-off and this game is called warlock and it's kind of an osr but a british osr kind of game but it's really intended to be able to play you know that warhammer fighting fantasy style game but without you know with a very simple you know easy to understand system and it's I heard an interview with this guy, and, and I think some of the things he did are really neat because it's a skill-based game, 
you know, in the vein of kind of like the skill system that you would use in, in be it cyberpunk or, you know, shades of, of like a D&D skill system thing. But what he's done is he managed to distill a D100 system into a D20 rollover. And I know that sounds confusing, but what it is, is your target number is always 20. And so you add your, your stat and your skill together, then you roll your die, you add it together, you're trying to get over 20. So if you have a, a rating of 4, you actually have a 20% chance, but it's roll over. You just add everything together. So it's a simple, really easy to understand system. Like I said, it's it's drawn some pretty good reviews in its community. There's a lot of uh, fan-created, uh, author-supported content out there for you if, if you're interested in it. And this is, again, it's called Warlock, and it's the word Warlock with an exclamation point. Now, the one thing, and, and he's even said this, it's it's a little difficult to find on drive-thru because it calls up all the extra stuff that anyone has ever written for Warlock subclasses or anything like that. So kind of the easiest way to find it will be, one, we'll throw a link in the show notes for it, but two, if you look up the publisher, which is Fire Ruby Designs, that's the easiest way to find it. Now, the other thing is that it is done stylistically to look a lot like an old Warhammer. So the font is kind of an old-school typewritery font, that kind of thing. And the other thing, and this is well-noted, in the uh, drive-through listing, one print-on-demand option is hardcover premium color. Now, it's worth noting that there is very little color actually in the book, but the reason that that option is there is because that gives a, it selects a higher grade of paper and so forth, so the, the quality of the actual book is higher because he went with the quote-unquote premium color option. He did not do that actually for actual colors it's just to get the quality of the book up there yeah that's actually a really important thing to note with drive through rpg the premium color for many games doesn't change the color as much as it does the book quality because it's so much nicer paper what i've seen on some people's shelves is that the regular versus the premium the premium books are like 25 percent narrower uh, so if you're getting a really big book, the, the premium versions are nice to have for sure. Yeah, and I mean this isn't a huge game. You're talking, looking at uh, 146 pages. Looks like it's currently on sale. PDF is currently, as as again as we're recording this, the very beginning of May. You're looking at just under seven dollars for the PDF, or if you want the PDF and the print-on-demand hardcover, you're looking at twenty-seven sixty-two. So again, you're not talking about a huge investment. If if you're looking for kind of a a gritty, you know, Warhammer esque fantasy type of game, this could be something you'd want to look into. That sounds really neat. I used to be a, a huge Warhammer fan with many minis, um, and no longer have the time for that. But that I'll have to check that out. Okay, that's pretty much what I have. Uh, who's next? I can go. So I have a game that is called Yar. And that is the Rules Light Pirate RPG. And it is a game that is a, as stated, Rules Light Pirate RPG, mostly aimed towards, well, they're they're aiming it towards a younger audience plus veteran players. And I really appreciate that because, you know, sometimes you just need a light game. And, and not, I don't mean a light game as in like, I mean something that's not, I don't know. I like Rules Light games. I do. I don't think it's any secret at this point that I like Rules Light games. But at the same time, I'm also a big pirate fan. And so seeing a rules-like game 
for a pirate RPG that has ship combat and is aimed towards a younger audience. This is all things that are adding up for me. Like, I'm like, this is awesome. I wish this was around when I was younger because I would have been all over this as like a little kid because I love pirates when I was a little kid. And so like hearing that there's this rules light RPG that is pirate game. It's like, I'm sorry. It's I know there's not a lot to talk about. There's not really a lot to talk about as far as the game. It is exactly what it sounds like. And the PDF is $4.99 on drive-thru. If you look it up, it's Y-A-R-R exclamation mark, and you'll find it immediately. It just seems like a fun, goofy, simple game. Yeah, yeah. Looking at it, looks like it's loosely based on, like, 3X D&D. Yeah, it's sort of got that D&D, like, basing, but it's not too complicated. Uh, just something easy to grab, throw it at the table, you know. I always talk about having those books in the in the arsenal that's like, eh, this doesn't take any energy. Yeah, those, those throw it on the table and let's play something game. Yeah. Well, I guess my game could also be in the throw it on the table and play something game category, but is otherwise very different from anything else that we've talked about so far today. Uh, because my game of the week, and, and I guess game of the last month and a half so far, uh, my new kind of demi-obsession, is Wanderhome, a game of anthropomorphic animals living in a pastoral land and traveling between villages, uh, or traveling between locations. It's not all, all villages. And uh, this is a game that uses the no dice, no masters system, so there's no dice rolling. It's, it's all about the storytelling, so it's, it's very narrativist. And it is just a delight. Uh, the artwork is beautiful. The book is uh, laid out to make it look like um, an old children's book with the typeface and the, the art almost looks like woodblock, but not quite like uh, that old printer style, but just it's, it's beautiful. And in, in this game, you play animals who are traveling together and there's there's no violence there's no uh, anything but there's a lot of deep storytelling potential it does use playbooks out of pbta and so in this in my game that i've been playing i'm playing a moth tender because in this world the mail is delivered by large moths who who fly between the different moth towers and i am playing a, a robin who manages the moths and the mail and delivers packages to animals in remote locations. And if that sounds appealing, you will love this game. I know after after playing the first time, uh, everyone in my group was just like grinning. It has that like makes you feel happy kind of energy to it. And that the playbooks really give uh, almost a masterwork in implied narrative, where uh, you get you pick from a list of options in a playbook. And the options they give you tell you so much about the world and the type of character that you could be. It's it's really a delight in every way. Sounds pretty cool. And like you said, looking at the listing, it does have a very children's book kind of vibe to it. It looks neat. If you liked the old Redwall books, but especially like the feasts and festivals, this is a game for you. Yeah, I love this. Like, I love everything about this. The art and I, uh, this is going, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just bought it. So excellent. Cool. That'll be here shortly. Uh, but yeah, I, I love this. I like, I don't know how else to describe it other than I'm glad you introduced me to this because I now found my new favorite thing. Thank you. You're welcome. 
Well, it's the purpose of Game of the Week, right? Is is make people aware of things they didn't know about. I bought Aegon after I had heard about Aegon a couple of times, and then once you guys talked about it on Game of the Week, that was my uh, that was the thing that pushed me over the edge to to go buy it. Cool. Well, I think then we're about wrapped. Anything you want to add as far as ways people can find you? Any other products you want to, to mention that you've worked on? Kind of self-promote a little bit there, Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as at StoryToldChaz. Um, I don't tweet a lot, but I am trying to do so more. Um, I mostly t- tweet about the projects that I'm working on. In terms of projects that I'm working on, I mentioned that I do write for the Onyx Path. I think Exalted Essence will be the first of my writing that will come to the public. Uh, so look for that Kickstarter coming soon. I've also written a lot on the Storyteller's Vault and Storypath Nexus, which are like the DMs Guild, but for Onyx Path and White Wolf stuff. Uh, so I've, I've published a handful of things for Exalted, uh, working on a big project for Changing the Lost, which is a Chronicles of Darkness game. The first volume of that is out now. The second volume is coming soon. If Scion is something of interest to you, one of the pain points with that game is that the character creation is a little bit confusing, and so I wrote a guide to Scion character creation, which you can also find on DriveThruRPG. If you search Scion character creation, it will come up. Uh, it's called A Pain in the Dice Guide to Scion Character Creation. And I, I think that's it for self-promotion at the moment. Look out for Essence coming soon. Oh, and yeah, ExaltCast. Go, go, go check out my other work on ExaltCast if you're interested in Exalted. Or if you want to hear me run Exalted, I run the Fall of Giara on the Story Told podcast feed. And so you can, can hear more what the game is like there. Okay, now just, just to clarify something here. When you say ExaltCast, you're talking about systematic understanding of everything? Because I know yes, the, on the podcast service I use, that's still what it's listed under. Yes, it is called the Systematic Understanding of Everything is the full podcast name. You can find it at ExaltCast.com, which is an easier URL. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just wanted to clarify that. One, so I know where to look for the links to put them <laughs> in the show notes. <laughs> of course. All right. Well, then I, I guess... Um, Steve, you have anything else? No, I think with that, you know, we want to thank you for coming on to the podcast and coming out talking about all of the everything that is this storyteller, storytelling. Yes, the everything that we've discussed today. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> with that, we do want to remind you, we do still have Discord still active, Twitter, Facebook. Find all that information in the show notes. And we do want to ask every week, we want to remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPG. Thank you for having me. And yeah, go play some games. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. for the cigar cigar 20 bucks dog you gotta go down the street to the store and buy that go ahead and move into game, game of the week. week game of the week <laughs> <laughs> i know the bet so <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you know that we we i i worry sometimes when we have guests on and we do that and they're like what is going on Ha, 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 ha.